Hey, thanks for checking out another Not Sam Wrestling podcast. Before we go any further, I wanted to remind you of ways you can support the show. First, you can do it absolutely for free. Whether you're listening on Apple or Spotify or anywhere else, make sure that you're subscribed and you're downloading the show and listening every single week. Also, if you're listening on Spotify, you can leave us a five-star rating. If you're listening on Apple, you can leave us a five-star rating and a review. If you want more content for free, you can go to youtube.com slash Wrestling. Hit the subscribe button and watch all our videos over there. If you want even more content and you want to support the show with some cash, you can go to patreon.com slash NotSamWrestling. Become a NotSamShow. Get the show early and ad-free every single week. You can get a bonus NotSamWrestling show every single week. You can watch video of everything we do in studio. You can watch the show get recorded live every single week. Access to our Discord and a whole lot more. Just go to patreon.com slash NotSamWrestling or support the show any way you see fit, like by visiting our fine sponsors. Thanks and enjoy. Today on Not Sam Wrestling, I'm going to talk to you about my 10 favorite WWE video packages of all time or the 10 WWE video packages that you should see before you die. This is Not Sam Wrestling. This is Not Sam Wrestling. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. Hey guys, welcome to Not Sam Wrestling. Hope everybody's doing great. We've got a lot to talk about this week on the show, so happy Monday. Starting a big week, starting the week strong. Heading into the summer of WWE, full of stadium shows and big matches and everything, and we'll discuss a lot. You know, uh, uh, I've opened up the the email box every week now here on Not Sam Wrestling. If you want to get in touch with us, it's notsamwrestling at gmail.com. Uh, and I'll talk a little bit about Roman Reigns. I'll talk about the Money in the Bank snips, all that in that email segment uh, later in the show. But before we get there, you know, uh, an interesting thing happened to me over the weekend. I went, as a matter of fact, you'll know him well if you're a wrestling podcast fan. I went with uh, an individual that goes by the name of uh, Cheap Heat's Peter Rosenberg to see Limp Biscuit at Madison Square Garden. Yes, Limp Biscuit in 2022, was playing a headline show, not part of a bigger sort of festival-type stage. No. Limp Biscuit headlined Madison Square Garden at 2022. I thought this is something I simply must see. Peter Rosenberg maybe didn't feel exactly the same way as me, but luckily his girlfriend did. So she got him to go. I went with them. It was a great time, and I'm sitting there, right? I loved seeing it. I I felt like I was going back into a time machine. I felt like I was heading right back to 1999, 2000, when the world was the world. And by that, I mean the Hard Rock Cafe was the world. WWE, the world. It was right after WWE New York. What I'm saying is I felt like I had dipped back about 22 years to a time when Limp Bizkit was running the world. Limp Bizkit was the hottest band. You know, people make fun of them these days, but they were, for a period of time, the hottest band in the world, at least in America. I mean, at least in my small social circle. But I'm listening to him, right? And he says, we're going to party like it's 1999. And he literally means that because they start playing hits from 1999. And all of a sudden, he plays My Way 
just one. And I go, oh, my God. And I start losing my shit, obviously, because it's a great song. But also because it means so much to me as a wrestling fan, as I think it does to all wrestling fans. And I'm watching Limp Bizkit perform my way. And I'm thinking about how much more I attach to this song because of that WrestleMania 17 montage. Because this hottest song in the country was attached to the hottest angle in wrestling at wrestling's hottest time period in history. Stone Cold Steve Austin versus The Rock. And I I started to think about other songs that have been used in wrestling and how even if I wasn't into Limp Bizkit at all, even if I hadn't grown up at the time when I could look back at them nostalgically, even if I didn't like the song whatsoever, it would still hit different. It would still mean something different to me because of how hard that video package hit. And I was thinking about all the other songs that the, the same thing might apply to. I started talking to Hot Dog. And I was like, uh, Hot Dog, he came with me to the Limp Bizkit show. He was my hot date. And I go, uh, I didn't even know you were a fan. And Hot Dog was like, Sam, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not a Limp Bizkit fan. I go, no. He goes, no, I know three songs. I go, which three songs? And he goes, I know Roland, I know WrestleMania 17, and I know WrestleMania 19. He didn't even know the names of the songs. He just knew them from WrestleManias. And when My Way came on, he was like, oh, shit, WrestleMania 17. They're actually playing it. That's how attached he was to the song because of this video package. And then I started to think about all the great video packages that WWE specifically has done. Now, of course, there have been video packages in every major wrestling promotion, ECW. ECW was notorious for their video packages, but... uh, ECW's video packages were just cool. Number one, I can't think of any like singular, like the the commercial montages that would run for the ECW home videos where they would play like, hey man, nice shot while they were promoting the videotape for High Incident or like they would play like Offsprings Come Out and Play uh, when they were promoting Raven's T-shirt. Or, or when they were promoting, like, the Blue Meanie and they would play Girl, You'll Be a Woman Soon after Pulp Fiction was popular. I mean, those are all fun, but they were also, like, so bootleg that it's almost a separate conversation to talk about some of the wild stuff that ECW was doing with music. Because it was insane what ECW was doing with music. You're like, how was it even legal? Because it was not legal at all. It wasn't like they were like, no. We figured out how to do things differently. Well, you could just break the law. You know, that was that was the ECW strategy. WCW tried, but, you know, WCW trying to do those music packages was similar to WCW trying to add in the WWE production elements by making those mini-movies. Like, you know, the, the White Castle of Doom with Sting and Vader, or the Dungeon of Doom vignettes when Hulk Hogan would be exploring through the jungle to try to find the Dungeon of Doom. Like, that was the level that WCW was playing at. And, like, in terms of live TV, they were amazing. But in terms of pre-produced video packages, I don't know that they ever really graduated past there. Was Hulk Hogan seeing the Ultimate Warrior in the mirror that different from the White Castle of Doom? So, when you talk about video packages and specifically 
video packages set to music in wrestling. WWE is 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 sitting in, in a class by themselves. And it's funny that you know the people that they have doing this are like they blow my mind. The the team of people that do this and you hear those names come up every now and then, you know, podcasts that'll bring up like Bruce Pritchard's podcast would bring up somebody like an Adam Panucci who I lost my mind the first time I saw Adam Panucci in Stanford in the TV headquarters. Not because I was like, oh shit, you did a whole bunch of these video packages that I love, but because I remembered him from being Adam of George and Adam, the super fans that ran in those WWE pay-per-view commercials in like 1994, right? He's over there cutting all these packages. You know, it's funny, like you never hear anybody talk about uh, the legendary stuff that Kevin Dunn has done. You know, you hear all the negative stuff. All Everything negative is somehow attributed to that guy. But the giant hand that he has in some of these unreal video montages is never discussed. Like the fact that there might be some genius in there is never discussed. You know, you have guys like, I, I mean, I've gotten to meet the, the legendary Chris Chambers, who it's not like he's a name that doesn't even come up when you talk about some of this stuff in 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 WWE and what, what's really going on and, and the elements, the elements that are being built to to drive these stories home because that's what a good video package does, right? A good video package makes you feel the story. You can know the story going in, but if you don't feel the story, if it's not in your veins as you're getting ready for this match to begin, a video package will inject it into your veins. And so I wanted to give my top 10, the top 10 WWE video packages, montages that you must see. And, you know, I put this question out on Twitter and I don't want anybody to get confused, okay? This is not like vignettes. This is not like Mr. Perfect doing the, uh, you know, the hole-in-one at the golf course and the and the uh, free throw line and whatever. This isn't that. This isn't Ted DiBiase, the million-dollar man going place to place. This isn't Dusty Rhodes, son of a plumber guy. Like, this is, this is that's a different conversation altogether. These are video packages. These are generally almost highlight reels that are usually set to some kind of music, although there are plenty where narration is built around them. Back in the uh, early 90s, like the video package as we know it didn't really start to poke through until like the mid-90s and the late 90s it started to really get through. And then in the 2000s, it, it hit a different level. But in like the early 90s, they started experimenting. They would use like uh, what's, you know, a music bed. And then like but there were cold openings to Monday Night Raw in like 1994 where Vince McMahon would be uh, the narrator, right? Vince McMahon would be uh, explaining last week on Monday Night Raw, blah, 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 blah. what will happen this week? Blah, 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 blah. And it was like, yeah, that was the beginning of what we're talking about here. But I'm talking about like, I'm not... It didn't make the list. It didn't make my top 10 list. But some of the videos that I'm talking about here are, for instance, like the video package that uh, was building to Cena versus The Rock at WrestleMania 29. I thought that video package was incredible because it took us on this journey that like the first little bit, it's these video packages, even though they're set to a song that we already know generally, they usually hit us in three acts. Like there's a clear three act narrative 
going on in these video packages. And that's why that's why they work, I think, so well. And there was there with that one, with Cena, and he was he was he was down in the dumps, and then he was explaining that it destroyed a year of his career, and then he's fighting to come back, and it just it just it just drove home. It drove home the first two acts of this montage completely explain the motivation that John Cena had going into WrestleMania to face The Rock for the second time. And then the third act was looking at the success of The Rock and, and how uh, how unbeatable he had become and beating CM Punk at the Royal Rumble to become the champion and all this stuff. And it really sets us up to this beautiful spot to, to walk in to MetLife Stadium and see this match play out in front of us. The, the John Cena CM Punk video package for the 2011 Money in the Bank match was great. Now, the reason that this is not on the list is because that match is so great and that story is so great that the video package, as good as it is to me, doesn't stand out above the match and the story that goes in. The packages that I have on this list, the package really stands by itself. Some of them, the stories and the matches are great. Some of them, the stories and the matches are only okay. But any of these, you look back on the video package and it's just like, oh my God. I feel like with the Money in the Bank 2011 Punk Cena video package, you go, that's cool. I got to go watch that match again. You know what I mean? It's not It's not a, a, a complete picture. The Invasion video package that aired before the inaugural brawl at Survivor Series 2001 it was fabulous at explaining the story. But these, this is my list. Let's get into the list. This is my list of the top 10 WWE video packages that you must watch before you die. And by the way, while we're while I was shouting out some behind-the-scenes people, shout out to Neil Lowey, the, uh, the music guy. He's an incredible dude himself. I mean, that's the thing. Like, so many of these, of these, uh, 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 packages are accompanied by really big songs by really big bands the wwe has seemingly been able to acquire the rights to in some kind of perpetuity because you still see these video packages on peacock you still see them like they're, they're as as vhs became dvd became youtube became wwe network some of these are on wwe's youtube channel clearly wwe has the rights to run these songs so Whatever business is going into these things is genius. Um, let's get into number 10. We're going to go from 10 to 1, as all good countdown should. And number 10, I have, uh, you might laugh at this, but I think that this video package is absolutely iconic. It was the beginning, okay? So in the beginning of these video packages being done, you didn't see them nearly as often, right? I mean, they experimented a little bit in like, 94, 93-ish. Yeah, 93, 94, when they put out WrestleMania, the album, you know, and the videos would come out, Hacksaw, Jim Duggan, beats people up. But those were really just like, you know, bad singles to sell the album. The video packages that were actually being used to try to push superstars, storylines, whatever it was, was stuff like, the Lex Luger, I'll Be Your Hero video. I'll be your hero. It was kind of a ripoff um, of, of whatever the hero pop song was. But still, 
it told the story of Lex Luger. It was like, okay, how do we build this guy up to be an American hero? Well, I can give you a three and a half minute piece that is going to explain that this guy is jumping on a red, white, and blue bus and riding this country from coast to coast, trying to get the people to support him. Was that really happening in real life? I don't know. It doesn't matter. We're telling stories here. You know what we do, pal? We make movies. And that's what we did. We made a little mini movie. I'll be your hero. How about when Brett the Hitman Hart was champion? Why was Brett the Hitman Hart champion? What was it that made Bret Hart as champion different from anybody else? I'll tell you what it was. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. What does that mean to you? Well, you could find out. Remember that Bret Hart video? Saka to me, saka to me, saka to me, saka to me. Bret Hart is champion. Aretha Franklin, R-E-S-P-E-C-T. That was great. That was the beginning of all of this, okay? And I actually really like that one. Maybe I'm looking at it through with a lens of nostalgia. It's not on my list, but I really like that one. But all of that is, is representative of the era and representative of the beginning of what I think this evolved into. And it evolved into some like just amazing art, right? Some of these video packages we're going to talk about today are amazing art. And it starts with this one. When Shawn Michaels went down, we worried that he wasn't going to come back. This was in, I don't know, probably 95, say? When Sean, well, when he lost his smile and he said, this might be it for old H.B. Shizzle. It was before he was calling himself H.B. Shizzle. But he, you know, he was saying goodbye. And the fans didn't want him to say goodbye. Fans didn't want to hear that. Even if it was true, just don't say it, you know? Sean, tell me a lie. Hey, I'm sorry for the interruption, but you know who my hero is? U.S. Army soldier Robert Patton. Now, this guy claims he did two tours of Iraq. I don't know if he did or not. I wasn't there. I couldn't I couldn't know for sure. But what he claims he did while he was over there is not fight for our freedom, but fight for our junk. Fight for our packages. We're talking about video packages on the podcast. I'm talking about your package that is in your underpants. Yeah, it's uncomfortable, but we should talk about it. I'm wearing sheath underpants right now, okay? And my balls aren't on my legs, okay? Not one of them. I don't have to powder. I don't have to do anything. It is the most luxurious experience I've ever had in my life, and I've had a lot of luxurious experiences. Look, this is what this guy did. He created underwear where none of your stuff is gonna stick to your other stuff. The legs fabric stays on your legs it doesn't ride up it's cool it's breathable but best of all there's two pouches in the front <laughs> so your ball i'm not kidding your balls have a place your shaft has a place everything has a place you can keep your unit organized and maybe that's why he was a soldier because he kept his unit organized that's important look i understand you think it's weird that i'm talking about balls and shafts and sheath you can try Sheath yourself. Trust me when I tell you. Go to sheathunderwear.com and you won't regret the experience. Order with promo code NOTSAM and you're going to get 20% off your first order. And you'll get Sheath's 100% money back guarantee. Sheathunderwear.com, promo code NOTSAM. 
Get sheath underwear. Let them support your balls. Support the troops. Support your balls. I don't care. Just support the show. Go to sheathunderwear.com and use promo code NOTSAM. Get your 20% off and do it now. Tell me a lie and say that you won't go. I mean, to this day, that song loops in my head. I think it was a WWE original. It certainly didn't exist outside of WWE. But that, I and, and you know, people are going to make fun of it. People are going to think I'm, 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 I'm trolling. But honestly, Shawn Michaels, tell me a lie. He got jumped in Syracuse. He's going home. Tell me a lie and say that you won't go. Listen to it. How does that not bring tears to your eyes? If you're a fan of this era, there is no way, because they played this all the time on WWE TV. That was a real radio hitting the post. And they're playing footage of Sean when he was in the Rockers. Oh, there's one part in this video. And then I'll turn it off when we get to the part that I really like. Sean's looking sad. The fans can't believe that this is happening. They're reacting to the music. The music is telling the story. Tell me a lie. Don't leave, Sean. It was like, we need people to be more sad about Shawn Michaels leaving. I challenge you to get through this without without at least welling up. You had to walk away. No more yesterday. Which I never really fully understood what that meant, but I think it means that like, boom, I love that part. Okay, that's my favorite part. All right, I'll turn it off after that. All right. My favorite part in this music video, and as a kid, it blew my mind. Is when that is is that is that like uh, drum part? Boom, 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 boom! Fireworks go off in the video. Psh, 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 psh. This is like 1995. Okay, this is not. Nobody's on Final Cut. Okay, nobody's on their phones editing it real quick. This is amazing production for the time. I love this music video. I think it's it's iconic. I think it's genius. I think it tells the story. The stuff like this wasn't happening. At the time, there was nothing like this at the time. And this this opened the door. This is why it's on the list, because this opened the door for everything else. Even if you think this is cornball, which it is not cornball, it served its purpose. But even if you do think it's cornball, you have to understand that tell me a lie started all this. You're not getting any, any of the good stuff. Quote unquote. You're not getting any of the iconic stuff. You're not getting any of the any any of the stuff, whatever, that that we got without Tell Me a Lie. And that's why at number 10, I have Shawn Michaels Tell Me a Lie. Now, number nine, this is the only two thousand this is the only Hall of Fame induction I have on my list. Um now there are many that could be. I thought that the Undertaker's Hall of Fame induction video was amazing. I loved that they went into they started with sad but true to tell the story of the beginning of The Undertaker and then went in seamlessly because it's the same guitar, it's the same riff, went into American Badass to go through the American Badass phase of The Undertaker. And then when it was time to do the second coming of The Undertaker, went right back into Sad But True. Seamlessly. It was, it was wonderful. Great package. 
I didn't put it on the list because I didn't want to fill up this list with Hall of Fame packages because there's so many good ones. But at number nine, I put the 2009 uh, Hall of Fame induction for Stone Cold Steve Austin. Now, I put it on for a couple of reasons. Number one, Stone Cold going in is iconic, and I think we need to take some time to remember it as often as humanly possible, you know? I think that it was so long ago at this point that we just kind of take for granted that, yeah, Stone Cold's the man, but, like, Stone Cold going into the Hall of Fame is Undertaker level going into the Hall of Fame for me. Just just the greatest. But the reason, I was looking back on it over the weekend, actually, and I had forgotten that this was, and it's, it's a brilliant, brilliant video package. But listen. Stone Cold. All right. The first, like, minute and a half guys that are synonymous is people talking industry. about it. And he is you know, Sean's talking about him. Edge is talking about him. CM Punk is talking about him. Count on one hand list. Right. Everyone. Everybody's talking about how great Austin is. Any piece of this should know that Steve Austin not only should but, be in the Hall of Fame. And you can and see, and like you know, little piano music is playing. It should be Stone Cold Steve Austin. But listen to this. Listen to this. This blew my mind. Listen. This is 2009. Ready? Wait till it hits. Talk about your songs, talk about John I mean, we know that. That's the Austin 316 promo. Wait till it kicks in. Listen, 2009. What? 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 So the first time... The cult of personality is used in WWE is actually two years before Money in the Bank 2011. The original cult of personality use in WWE was Stone Cold Steve Austin's Hall of Fame induction ceremony. And it really is cool because in the video, it's like people are talking about Stone Cold and you're like, yeah, man, you know what? Stone Cold really is the goat. Stone Cold really is the man. And then you go, you think he's the man? And then, boom, cult of personality hits. And it just hits you upside the head. And then all the adrenaline that Stone Cold hits you with, all of it comes back, right? So not only is it really interesting and really historic because it's the first time that cult of personality is actually used, which you have to wonder, when CM Punk started using cult of personality, do you think they were like, you know where to use that, right? I don't know, maybe. But it's so cool feeling that thing where everybody's talking and you you feel the reverence for Austin, right? That you spo- you're supposed to at the Hall of Fame. And then, uh, instantly, you get hit with that adrenaline that you got hit with every time Stone Cold Steve Austin hit the ring on Monday Night Raw. Just a brilliant, brilliant video package. Now, most of the rest of these video packages uh, are not about one singular person, They're about a match or a storyline, which I think, generally speaking, those are the best, right? Those those generally are the best because those are the stories. Those are the the stories that we're actually kind of telling. It's a a more concise story, a a, a three-act thing that that we're saying, this is how we got to this place that we're about to see in the ring. At number eight, I love this package, Bray Wyatt. Undertaker, WrestleMania 31, set to Johnny Cash when the man comes around. It's so good because what you have here, especially with this one, 
This one to me is everything that a video package should be because, you know, I think most people remember that Bray Wyatt Undertaker match as kind of bringing, just bringing the Undertaker back after a loss, right? It was the first time anybody had seen him since he lost to Brock Lesnar. He was not at whatsoever a part of the build to to WrestleMania that year. It was all Bray talking up the fact that the Undertaker was going to be there. And he finally shows up and he beats Bray. And it's like, you know, Bray didn't exactly gain traction from it. The under, it was it was it just brought the Undertaker back into the fold. And you know, it, it was what it was. But when you watch the video package, boy, do you get charged up for this match. Boy, do those goosebumps start to pour in. What, you, what you've got is the first, and, and it's such a clear three-act thing. The beginning of it is when the man comes around and it's the Undertaker, right? And he's just taking souls and digging holes. He's knocking heads all over the place. He's the Undertaker, the most dominant force that the WWE has ever known. And then, and, and I love that it's not a record scratch. It almost sounds more like kind of melting film where the song starts to, maybe not melting film, melting audio tape, you know, when, uh, when Brock Lesnar beats The Undertaker. And you're like, oh no. So you watch The Undertaker crumble, right? And then Bray comes in and there's this sort of demonic thing where he's the new face of fear. Meaning I am here to replace The Undertaker. And 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 you spend some time with Bray and seeing that like The Undertaker has fallen and Bray is specifically trying to take this guy's place. And, and Bray is trying to be that guy and Bray sees him as a shell of what he once was. So the purpose here is for Bray to take his place, not only just by saying it, but by going forward and thieving it right out from under it. But then in the very end of the video, the Johnny Cash lyrics start to kick in again under what's going on with Bray. And you're like, oh, oh, maybe The Undertaker's not gone after all. And then we go right into the match and it's like, perfect, perfect. It's just like all of a sudden, if you weren't sold on the story, you didn't get the story, or you're just like, oh, okay, Undertaker versus Bray, I guess the Undertaker's just coming back for a match. When you watch that video package, there's a reason for this match. There's a reason to care about this match. There's there, there's something that gets you charged up where you're like, I am invested. That's what it is. It's investment. And all of a sudden, I'm invested. I got the feels that Johnny Cash has brought me from the American recordings I got the story that Bray Wyatt has been telling me. I got the spirit of The Undertaker returning to WrestleMania. And it's all coming down here in San Francisco or wherever that WrestleMania was. I think it was at least in the 49er Stadium. I don't know if it was San Francisco official. My number seven video package is also a Bray Wyatt package. I mean, Bray Wyatt in that era, you know, was just telling stories that translated here. Bray was was clearly figuring out where he was a storyteller. And there was something that 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 week to week people might have criticized I never criticized I always loved Bray. But the one criticism that I think people had of him was that week to week they didn't follow what was going on. They found his promos to be rambling. 
or they were like, okay, I don't know. I remember last week you said this and this week you said this. They just, the lore itself became difficult for some to follow. I was always into it, but that was a criticism. All that criticism goes away when you break the whole thing down. And this to me, like the song Legacy by Eminem. First of all, it feels like, okay, Bray is coming for John Cena's legacy, right? The song is called Legacy. It feels like I'm going to get hit in the head with a sledgehammer. Like, I understand. I got it. It's a little nail on the head, right? And then I'm listening to Eminem's Legacy, and this is the era of Eminem where I probably would not be listening to Eminem anymore. There's plenty of Eminem that I would listen to. This is the era, like, you know, we were talking about Limp Bizkit a minute ago. I'm probably not going to go past Significant Other. I might deep dip in to chocolate starfish in the hot dog-flavored water, but after Chocolate Starfish, my familiarity with the catalog of the biscuit starts to get real low. And the same could be said for Eminem, right? So I'm not going to sit around listening to the song Legacy by Eminem. And I don't know that I'm going to be uh, believing you when you tell me it's a great way to, to explain the story of somebody's legacy. I mean, like, yeah, I got it. But once you put it on, you go oh my God, this might be the most important match in the history of WWE. All of a sudden, coming off of two WrestleManias in a row where John Cena was headlining against The Rock, both years in the biggest match conceivable in sports entertainment. All of a sudden, through that song and the story that we're told between John Cena and Bray Wyatt, we've got what feels like, and if you watch that video package now, you'll get the feeling. All of a sudden, it feels like this is the most important story that has ever been told centering John Cena. This video package is, I believe, one of the main reasons why people were like, oh, I hope Bray beats John Cena. Oh, what if Bray beats John Cena? The one criticism people have of this WrestleMania 30 match is that Bray didn't beat John Cena. And I think the reason people thought that Bray was going to beat John Cena was at least in part because of this video package, because they got behind the story. This video package is a villain explaining why he wants to take down the hero. You know, they say that every great villain can't consider themselves a villain, that villains are not motivated by anything that is less pure than what heroes are motivated by, right? It's just that their view of the world is so twisted that they become a villain. In this video package, Bray is, is calling John a liar. Bray is saying that John is an immoral deity to these wrestling fans and that Bray needs to do a service to the world and eliminate John Cena once and for all. That Bray is not trying to tear down the legacy of John Cena because he's an evil man. Bray is trying to tear down the legacy of John Cena because he's a truthful man. And while watching Raw week to week, you might get lost in the nuance. When this, when this video comes out, this four minutes put over Eminem and, and, and the Eminem lyrics are all about being an outsider and all about being misunderstood. And you're looking at pictures of Bray and you're like, holy shit, that's Bray. Bray is just a guy who has the best of intentions, 
that feels misunderstood and feels uh, pious, that, 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 that Bray feels righteous in his mission, and that just because he feels people don't understand his motivations or understand him doesn't mean that they won't and doesn't mean he shouldn't act on them. And you get all of that from the video. I don't remember the promos. I don't remember any of that, but that whole story that I just told you was because this weekend I probably watched that thing three or four times. That's the other great thing, that as I'm researching these video packages to figure out which 10 I'm going to want to talk about here on the podcast, I probably watched each of them five times because they're so good. I'm like sitting here just like getting these bite-sized story here, bite-sized story there. All of these video packages are so rich in content, right? That they take their three, four, maybe five minutes and they just pack them with story and emotion. And they take us on the journey that we need to be taken on for the match that we're about to see to be as significant as humanly possible. When a video package is done right, that is how you feel. And that's how we felt for so many of these things. Like, look, a lot of times I won't go with the biggest match possible because the video package might get kind of buried in it. The, 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 the video package ends up not being the lead of the story because the match itself was enough. You know, sometimes the promo and the match will sell the match, whereas the, the, the video package that, that they make just becomes the dressing, right? But in the case of WrestleMania 26, which is for some... Literally the greatest wrestling match of all time. At least the greatest WrestleMania match of all time. I'm talking about Shawn Michaels versus The Undertaker. WrestleMania 26. I think the reason why so many like that match better than WrestleMania 25 is because of the story that went with it this time. Because both matches are equally great matches. But there's so much more emotion in the WrestleMania 26 match. And that's probably because it's a retirement match for Sean. But the video package that accompanies that match, and that video package is, is set to a song called Running Up the Hill, Running Up That Hill by Placebo. And it's perfect because it tells the story of the hill that Shawn Michaels is running up. That Shawn Michaels, ironically, cannot rest in peace if he cannot beat The Undertaker. Shawn Michaels cannot continue his career. Shawn has become obsessed. Shawn has lost everything in his quest to get to The Undertaker. And we watch this. We watch this go through as, as, as this is going on. And we see that, like, Shawn wins an award for WrestleMania 25's match, best match of the year. And we watch as the year goes on. Sean goes crazier and crazier and crazier all the way up until we get to Elimination Chamber. And Sean has now, he's lost his opportunity, right? It was like, it was right there for him. He's going to win the Royal Rumble. He's going to go to WrestleMania. It was going to be Undertaker as champion versus Royal Rumble winner, Shawn Michaels. And here we go. And he lost the Royal Rumble match. And now he's, he's, uh, he's hell-bent. The Undertaker said no. Well, why would I, what do I have to prove? I already beat you last year. What do I need to do this year? 
And to me, the video package separates it. The video package makes it so we're not just watching a rematch. We're watching something completely different. You know, that there was, that you know, this is a rematch, but this is the match. You know, this isn't about, all right, well, you were better this year. Let's find out who's better last year. No, no, no. I mean, you were better last year. Let's find out who's better this year. No, that's not what this is about at all. This is about something entirely different. And that's all surmised in that video. Uh, getting midway through the countdown to number five. I've talked about the loudest ovation that I ever heard live as a fan. And that was uh, January of 2002. Yeah, January of 2002, I want to say. I don't think it was 2001. I think it was 2002. Either way, whatever year it was, it was Triple H returning from quad surgery at Madison Square Garden. Of course, coming off of WrestleMania uh, X7, Austin turned heel. He and Triple H formed the two-man power trip just as that was starting up. Triple H tears his quad mid-match, finishes the match, but goes down for seven months. Right as Triple H was about to step in to main event person. This is a guy who couldn't get out of the shadow of Austin and The Rock. Before that, The Warrior and and, and Sean and Brett. And, you know, there was, there was always somebody bigger above him. And he's finally able to step into that main event seat. And just as he steps in, he tears that quad and he goes out for seven months, an eternity in any business, but especially in the world of wrestling. Yet, but I say that he was part of the two-man power trip to say that when Triple H went down with his quad injury, he was a confirmed villain. He was a bad guy. He was a heel, as it's known in the world of professional wrestling. However, that loud reaction that I heard at Madison Square Garden, twas not booze. No, 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 no. It was cheers. It was adulation for Triple H. Why the adulation for Triple H? I believe it was because while he was gone, progress reports were sent in. And those progress reports were sent in through music montages set to the song Beautiful Day by U2. It's a beautiful day. Don't let it get away. The Triple H torn quad getting repaired Beautiful Day montage is as good as any produced video could have been in that era or any era. To Like, it still works. Nobody's listening to Beautiful Day by U2 anymore. I mean, it's a huge song. Nobody's listening to that song in 2022. But you could put, you could go to a live event and put that Beautiful Day Triple H quad injury video on right now. And people would be ready to run through a brick wall to support Hunter Hearst Helmsley. That's how powerful that video is and how effective that video is. I mean, that video is a work of art. You want to teach a college class on how to sell people 
on a heroic character, you put that video on. Because quite frankly, I mean, if you look at it, that year he won the Royal Rumble, Triple H. But by the time he got to WrestleMania, that was WrestleMania 18, by the time he got to WrestleMania, things had become kind of so convoluted with people coming in and everything that while, yes, he beat Chris Jericho in the main event for the title, people left that WrestleMania talking about Hogan and The Rock. And a month after winning the title at WrestleMania, Triple H dropped the Undisputed Championship to Hulk Hogan, who then like dropped it to The Undertaker, dropped it to Kurt Angle. It was a ridiculous run of people losing the Undisputed Championship. It was maybe the most disputed, undisputed title I've ever heard of. But that's all to say that Triple H coming back from his quad injury did not set him up for life. He had a lot of work to do once he got back. That night, he was the biggest good guy in the business. He didn't hold on to it. You know, it slipped away and he had to fight like hell to maintain it and to maintain his spot. He was not a made man by any stretch. But in that moment, we got the reaction that we got because everybody had seen the Beautiful Day video. And everybody had waited for this moment, the singular moment where he would do the impossible and enter a ring again, ready to proclaim himself as the game. Let's go to number four. Let's go to video number four. We're now into the past the top five, past the halfway point. Triple H is involved in this one, but on the complete opposite end of the spectrum. We go back to WrestleMania 30, same place we were in for the John Cena video. By the way, if we can dip back the, uh, well, we'll dip back later, actually. We'll go to number four here. It's Daniel Bryan. WrestleMania 30, the story of him and Triple H set to the song Monster by Imagine Dragons. And it is the full chronology of Daniel Bryan in the WWE. It is Daniel Bryan on the NXT reality show and Matt Stryker being nasty to him when he interviewed him and getting his first title shot against The Miz for the United States Championship and The Miz saying, you will never get this. You're not going to have it. It's not for you. And Daniel Bryan having to stick it to him. And you see as they're talking about... uh. The, 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 in the song, they're talking about becoming a monster. I'm, I'm, I'm a monster now. You watch Daniel Bryan transform from this fresh-faced kid coming in just trying to make it to this guy with this scraggly beard and this long hair. And the only reason that he's in the position that he's in is because he simply refuses to be denied. We go through the entire journey. We go all the we skipped the part where he was a heel. That's probably best for the story that we're telling. But we go all the way to SummerSlam, the year before WrestleMania 30, when Daniel Bryan won the WWE Championship, but instantly ate a pedigree. He won it from John Cena, actually. And then he instantly ate a pedigree from Randy, from Triple H, only for Randy Orton to cash in his money in the bank briefcase and take the WWE championship. This was the yes movement. This is the video 
that captures all of that. The Yes Movement is one of, if not the best storylines of the modern era and brought us to one of the greatest moments in the history of WrestleMania. Daniel Bryan's title run was is not even on a list of, of anywhere near great title runs, but the moment that he finally won the WWE Championship at WrestleMania is one of the greatest championship moments, WrestleMania moments, WWE moments of all time. And the reason it is, is because of the journey that we took to get there. And that journey is encapsulated by this monster video uh, featuring the Imagine Dragons. Uh, and, and, and it goes back to what I'm saying. I'm not at home listening to Imagine Dragons. That's not me. That's not my style. That's not my thing. But this thing's perfect. If you haven't, look it up on YouTube. It'll bring a tear to a grown man's eye. It's everything. It is everything that wrestling can be. It's everything that wrestling should be. It's storytelling just done to perfection. And speaking of that, let's get into the top three. The top three is where it's going to get controversial. But it has to be this way. Number three is a video that I think a lot of you probably expected to be number one. Number three is my way. Number three is WrestleMania 17, Rock versus Austin, my way. And I'm not going to justify it being number three as if it's not perfect, right? If you have it at number one, I'm not going to argue that. I will argue why number two and number one deserve to be at the spot of number two and number one. But my top three, if you were to mix them up, I'm not going to fight you for it. I'm not going to have a problem with it. I guess at, at some point it breaks down to maybe personal preference. This video package is absolutely remarkable because you think to yourself, this is WrestleMania 17, right? This is 2001. This is Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock at their absolute peak in the main event wrestling for the WWE Championship. You couldn't possibly have a bigger match in 2001. You could literally just flick the pay-per-view on, play their entrance music, and have them go into the ring. And everybody would leave that stadium feeling satisfied. There was a promo that ran before WrestleMania that was just brilliant. It was... Austin and The Rock with JR and they were in a locker room just talking it out, right? And there was just a there was a palpable tension. You got the feeling that this went beyond wrestling characters. That this was two guys that both felt that they deserved to be the top person. This was The Rock, the young guy who had come in with maybe the most natural ability any superstar has ever had and simply was undeniable almost from the jump to the point where if you didn't like it, you were going to have to learn to live with it because you could just listen to how the crowd reacted. You could count the money that was being made. You could check the ratings points. You could look at the ticket sales. People were obsessed with The Rock. Meanwhile, you had Stone Cold Steve Austin, 
who people were also obsessed with, who was also the top star in the industry. But unlike The Rock, Stone Cold Steve Austin had to put about 12 years of wrestling in before he was able to get to that point. Stone Cold Steve Austin busted ass to prove himself. And so you had just the ultimate clash of egos and justifiable egos. And what my way did was was they took that feeling and they took clips of that promo and they took all the story that had led us here and they said, just one more fight and I'll be history. I'm going to do things my way. It's my way or the highway, right? Whose way? Whoever wins. A couple of things going on in the lyrics of that song. First of all, when you start saying just one more fight, just one more, it's like, this is the only fight that matters. It's not like this is the last time The Rock and Austin are going to fight. It's not like it's literally for the industry. We need one more match. We need Austin versus The Rock. And then that's it. Once we determine who's better between Austin and The Rock, we can put it to bed and move on to something entirely new. And there's only one way to do things. We're going to follow the top guy, either Austin or The Rock. And that's the feeling that you got. The only problem I have with this match as a match is the fact that the finish is so wonky and, you know, Austin turns and everything. It's a bummer. But the match itself, perfect. This video package going into it makes it even more so. Absolutely incredible. Video package number two that you must watch before you die is on this list at number two because it's the most, if not the, or maybe the second most effective video promotional package I've ever seen in my entire life. This one takes us to WrestleMania 27. The WrestleMania that I have said is the worst WrestleMania of all time. One of the reasons is because people were not sold on the main event. The main event being The Miz versus John Cena, The Miz defending the WWE Championship. Now, this wasn't The Miz's fault, right? The Miz was probably not ready to be the WWE Champion, probably not ready to main event WrestleMania as the top villain in the world of professional wrestling. His title run had not been an over-the-top great title run. Before WrestleMania and John Cena, his main rival for the WWE Championship had been Jerry the King Lawler, the commentator. Not Memphis Jerry Lawler, commentator Jerry Lawler. He came out of the commentary booth to fight The Miz for the WWE Championship. That is no way to set up a new champion for a match with a main event with John Cena at a WrestleMania that The Rock is going to be at. That is not how you convince the audience that this kid is a star. Well, he beat Jerry Lawler. Yeah, I know. But it's like, you know, 2011 or something. Like, it's not, it's not 1988. So you go in going like, okay, I'm not sold on the match. 
That's my biggest point, I think. That I went in saying I am not sold on this match. And then right before The Miz comes out, this video package that they decided not to run on Monday Night Raw, not to run on any pre-shows, to just debut cold at WrestleMania. Right before The Miz was introduced, we see a video of, of the silhouette of The Miz at a control panel, controlling all the monitors. And right in front of our face, we see the story of The Miz. We see how The Miz came to be. What we see is the origin story of a supervillain. We see this guy who did grow up watching wrestling. We look at these classic wrestling clips, Hulk Hogan, Austin, and Shawn Michaels, and all this stuff going on. Meanwhile, while all this is happening, we see clips of The Miz on MTV's The Real World, clips of The Miz on, on Tough Enough, right? We see clips of, of, of classic WWE champions having classic matches. And then The Miz is on SmackDown doing a terrible job as the quote-unquote host of SmackDown. And we see the naysayers. We see the people telling, not taking The Miz seriously. But what we see through all this stuff that is not the typical route, what we see through all the TV, reality TV stuff, and all the hosting SmackDown stuff, and then getting into the matches and all that stuff, what we see is a guy who declared his dream during season 10 of The Real World, years before he was anywhere near a WWE contract. He introduced The Miz character years before he was anywhere near a contract. He declared his dream to be a WWE superstar. And what we see is this guy who has paid his dues in very unconventional ways. But what we see is this guy who is truly made his dream come true, who has truly cashed in on every promise he has ever made and truly become the person that he always promised to be. But he gets no credit for it. And the song, Hate Me Now, You Can Hate Me Now, But I Won't Stop Now, by Nas featuring P. Diddy, is playing. And it's just the perfect song. And it's ironic because that song had come out about 10 years before that WrestleMania. That was not a new song. It was the perfect song, and it's a great song in general. But somehow, they had not used that song. Somehow, I guess they were waiting for the perfect opportunity to finally bite the bullet, pull the trigger, and use Hate Me Now. And you could have used it for another heel, sure. But there was a real hatred that fans had for The Miz that I think that song reflected better than it would have for anybody else. And I remember sitting there watching WrestleMania 27 live and watching the Hate Me Now video package and going, holy shit, I care about this match. Oh my God. I get the Miz's journey. I care about the Miz's journey. I care about what happens in this match. All of a sudden, there's something going on in this match. Now, I lost that by the end because the finish was The Rock just laying everybody out, but that video package was the first thing that ever truly sold me on the Miz 
as a main event guy. And I don't think the elements of that ever left. I think that from that point on, I finally got it. I finally got the Miz. Just the ultimate guy that everybody hates. And everybody hates him because he's just who he is. He's just a hateable guy. He's right. He's skilled. He's going to win. But God, does he suck as a person. And that's the story of that video. Now, coming in at number one, and I appreciate you guys taking this journey with me because I put a lot of thought into it. The number one video package that I think WWE has ever done, and I was thinking about giving it to The Miz. I was honestly, like, before I started this journey, it was either Rock, Rock Austin My Way or The Miz Hate Me Now. That was one and two for me. And then I watched a video package, a WWE Desire video package, set to the song Lonely Road of Faith by Kid Rock. Now, I would probably not listen to the song Lonely Road of Faith by Kid Rock. I would probably do something else instead. But... I watched this video package. It's a four-minute video package that aired on Monday Night Raw and then several times after, subsequently. It is one of the most remarkable video production pieces that the WWE has ever done. What it basically is, is set to this song, Lonely Road of Faith, which starts slow, then gets very aggressive and then kind of goes out strong, it tells the story of WWE. And it's very interesting because to me, it's perfect. It's 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 the perfect package because when this thing aired, little did they know that the company was still the WWF when it first came out. But the company would not remain the WWF very much longer after this video came out at all. So what this video ends up being is a true start-to-finish history of the WWF. Everything after it is WWE. But if you want the story of the WWF before they got the F out, the entire thing is told in this Lonely Road of Faith video, four minutes. They start with Vince Sr. They start with the WWWF, Bruno, Pedro, all those guys. Goes into Hogan. It gets a little scary. Nitro starts. The NWO starts. The song gets aggressive. By the way, they chronicle the new generation. They're going like, we're moving, we're moving. The Hogan era, the new generation, we're moving, we're moving. Things get bad. Things get scary. Nitro, the NWO, uh-oh. Then things get aggressive. Attitude era. Kid Rock starts screaming, rap rocking like he tends to do. Austin, the Godfather, the Undertaker, Kane, people getting pulled into caskets. It's amazing. And then after celebration, and you realize what this really is. This video package is not just the quintessential history of the WWF, but it is also a celebration coming out 
of the other side of a true war. The Monday Night War was not a war the likes of which we had ever seen before and certainly will ever see again. This was not just WCW and WWE competing, right? Yeah, you know, NXT versus AEW. Ooh, who did better in the ratings? WWE versus AEW. I like one show better than the other. You're not sitting there watching going, this is life or death for both of these companies. Quite frankly, it's not life or death for either of these companies. There's a billion dollars behind each of these companies. They're going to be fine. One is hopefully just concentrating on what they're doing, and the other should just be concentrating on what they're doing. It's a competition, but it's not a war. A war is we're going to kill each other until one side surrenders. That's what was happening between WCW and WWE. A war, not a competition. And WWE won the war. And there's a moment to finally celebrate that victory when this video package, The Lonely Road of Faith, comes on. It's incredible. It's incredible because it tells the story. It's incredible because of the timing of it all, because of how quickly we go over to WWE after it, but also because it's the one time when WWE in that era finally had a moment to celebrate their accomplishment. And not just their accomplishment of beating WCW, because that wasn't the accomplishment. The accomplishment was building this incredible American entertainment company that became a national, that became an international company. I believe that the, the lonely road of faith marks the end of a chapter and that the WWE launches towards becoming that global entertainment company that it is now following this video. There's so much depth to it. I could probably do an entire podcast on the Lonely Road of Faith, but those are my 10. Tell Me a Lie, Austin Hall of Fame induction, Bray and Undertaker, WrestleMania 31, Bray and Cena, WrestleMania 30, Undertaker versus Shawn Michaels, Running Up That Hill, Triple H, Beautiful Day, Daniel Bryan, Monster, Rock versus Austin, My Way, Miz, Hate Me Now, and of course, WWE, Lonely Road of Faith. Man, man, when they do a video package right, they do a video package right. Let me get into uh, some of the email. If you want to contribute uh, or you want to talk to us here at Not Sam Wrestling, send an email to notsamwrestling at gmail.com. Uh, Ryan Vale, uh, he writes, Why fans hated Roman. If you follow the timeline of people deciding WWE was, and this this probably goes back to the conversation I had about uh, uh, where the w, where Roman goes now, where the WWE goes after Roman. I had a whole conversation about it last week on the podcast that if you haven't listened to yet, I think you would enjoy. Um, but it basically talks about why I would like to think that Roman Reigns still feels like he has a lot to accomplish and why now at his hottest is maybe not when he should go away if he is planning on going away. Why fans hated Roman Reigns? This is from Ryan Vale. Uh, if you follow the timeline of people deciding WWE was forcing Reigns down their throats and started booing, you'll find CM Punk. When Punk gave that infamous podcast interview to Colt Cabana, he spoke in depth uh, about how he was told to make Roman look strong by WWE management. Punk also made a point of saying that Roman wasn't originally with Ambrose and Rollins. The WWE shoehorned him in. I really think that Reigns' hate started after that Punk interview. For that reason, I'd love to see a Reigns-Punk feud. Let Punk finally have that WrestleMania main event and lose to Reigns. 
first of all, yes. Not, I mean, uh, to the kayfabe of it, right? The idea, I, I personally wish, and I know I'm a homer for WWE, but I feel like it, it Punk coming back to WWE, there's a lot for him to do in WWE with that storyline. Although he would have had to lose to Roman Reigns, and he probably wouldn't have wanted to lose to Roman Reigns, so maybe he wouldn't want to do that. But I would like to see it. Um, I think that uh, I think that it it has less to do with CM Punk. I think CM Punk is is vocalizing a concern that fans had at the time. Regardless, uh, I think that the Roman thing started when he won the Royal Rumble. Um, you know, really started when he won the Royal Rumble. It was it was kind of there a little bit before that. Like you knew, I remember going to the Royal Rumble, and I think I went. I think I went with Linendahl actually, and I she was wearing a Roman Reigns shirt in Philly. I was like, "Dude, you know Roman's gonna get booed out of the building, right?" She was like, "What do you mean? He's a good guy." I was like, "No, no, no, no!" Like she was struck by this. That's how I know that it wasn't like a known thing that everybody boos Roman Reigns at the Royal Rumble yet. Philly knew because they booed him out of the building. I knew he was gonna win. I knew he was gonna get booed out of the building. I think that. The fact that I knew that and the fact that most of the other fans in that building knew that and the WWE did it anyway. And then people at home saw him getting booed out of the building. And then people at home saw The Rock's face turn to concern in the ring. What's going on? What is that sound? You know, I think that that probably had everything to do uh, with the beginning of that sort of Roman hate era in WWE. Um, Tim Spears wrote in, the real stakes at Money in the Bank. Hey, Sam, enjoyed your breakdown of the new Money in the Bank, but I think you missed the mark. I don't miss a mark. Uh, he writes, the Money in the Bank winner only gets, quote, the chance to main event WrestleMania. I bet the Money in the Bank winner gets to challenge the Royal Rumble winner at Fastlane or whatever to decide who main events the showcase of the Immortals. Remember when Daniel Bryan faced Roman Reigns at Fastlane and it was badass? I think that's what's happening. Here's the problem. They specifically said the chance to main event WrestleMania. If you are fighting in a ladder match, the Money in the Bank ladder match, and all you get is another singles match to potentially have the main event of WrestleMania, that's not much of a prize. And it's certainly not a prize that people are going to buy a ticket to go to a show in a stadium to see. I'm not saying that the winner of the Money in the Bank will definitely end up going to WrestleMania. But what I am saying is, Cody Rhodes advertised it as the winner of the Money in the Bank is going to WrestleMania. I understand he said for the chance to go to WrestleMania, but that's the privilege. The privilege of going to WrestleMania. That's the award. The award is the chance to main event WrestleMania. That's what he's saying. You get this, you get this wonderful chance. If I told you you're gonna, if you win an eight-man ladder match, you have the chance to co-host with Not Sam Wrestling. With me, you had the chance to co-host with me to do an episode of Not Sam Wrestling. And then you won the Money in the Bank ladder match. And I said, okay, now you got a chance. You got to win another ladder match. And then you could do it. You'd be like, what the fuck? I already won a ladder match. You told me I'd have the chance to co-host. I said, yeah, you got the chance if you win another ladder match. Nobody would be into that. I don't think. I'm not saying that they won't find a way to get this person out of WrestleMania. But what I am saying is... I believe, based on the language in the promo for Money in the Bank, that WWE will advertise this or is advertising it now 
as the winner of Money in the Bank goes to WrestleMania. I believe with those stakes, because they specifically took the old stakes away, they specifically took away the idea that you could cash in at any time. There's no mention of that whatsoever. So the fact that that's gone, if you're going to take that away, I would say that the chance to fight the... Like, who wants to win Money in the Bank or the Royal Rumble if they just have to fight each other to then go to WrestleMania? It's too much. I'm not going to bother with all that. I think what WWE should do and might is create the most star-studded Money in the Bank ladder matches that you've ever seen. If the winner's going to get to go to WrestleMania, then the women's match should be like, you know, Becky. I don't know if Charlotte will be back, but it should be everyone. It should be Becky, Sasha, Bailey coming back. It should be Trish Stratus. It should be Lita. It should be, you know, who's who. And then on the men's side, it should be uh, uh, Cody, Rollins, McIntyre, John Cena, Brock Lesnar. It should be an insane lineup. That's the way to do it. You're making Money in the Bank one of the top pay-per-views of the year. You're talking about sending somebody to WrestleMania. Put the biggest stars in the world in the Money in the Bank ladder matches. And that's how you turn Money in the Bank into something else. That's what I think they should do. And not like, well, we said chance. It is a chance. Don't play with me. Don't play semantics with me. You want to contribute to the show? Not Sam Wrestling at gmail.com. I appreciate all you guys. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. Hit us up at, on the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash not Sam Wrestling. Leave a rating and a review for the show, and we'll see you uh, next week here on Not Sam Wrestling. Thanks for listening. Follow at Not Sam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Rate, review, and subscribe. This has been Not Sam Wrestling. Not Sam Wrestling.